0: Do you believe in Happily Ever After? Well, we have author Ilana K. Arnold in studio today to talk about her dark and powerful novel, Damsel. Stay tuned. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Book Circle Online. I am your host, Tammy Govea, and today we have author Alana K. Arnold in studio with us. She's written a host of books, um, children, teens, including the middle grade novels The Question of Miracles, Far From Fair, and A Boy Called Bat. Some of her YA novels include What Girls Are Made Of, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Infidus. Today, Close. though, we are going to be speaking to her about her newest novel, and that is Damsel.
1: Thank welcome. you so much. Thank welcome, you for having me welcome. today.
0: Welcome. Thank you for joining us here at Book Circle. Um, so many things that I want to talk to you about, but let's start out with what the press has to say. Okay. Okay, because we like to focus on supporting... Supporting you, supporting what you do, awesome. and there's so many wonderful accolades about Thank this you. book and the voice in this book. So, one of, one of the things that people are saying, brutal and unflinching. Damsel is a gorgeously twisted fairy tale that lures you in with pretty words and then shows you its thorns. Love that. And this one, Alana Arnold... Where's the K? There's no K here, so I'll say it with a K. Alana K. Arnold is a master of writing the struggles of young women and the violence they endure. Damsel is a story that feels both modern and ancient, a harrowing and compelling gothic fairy tale of a young woman passing through fire to reclaim herself. It reads like a pre-Grimm Brothers fairy tale before they were sanitized bedtime stories, when they went to the darkest reaches of the human heart to bear witness of who we really are. Um, and that's from Jeff Zenter, the Morris Award-winning author of The Serpent King. Um, tell us a yeah. little bit, Alana, about what is Damsel about, a little bit about Ama, and yeah. and this, um, they keep saying reimagining of a fairy tale, yeah. but I'll let you
1: well, thank you so much. It's so nice to hear those <laughs> kind words. Wonderful um, I so wonderful and so true. It.
0: After reading it, it's like right on. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate
1: it. Uh, so Damsel is an original um, novel-length fairy tale, um, or you could call it a fantasy novel, depending on what you prefer, I suppose. It tells a story of a world in which, in order to become king, the prince must, without aid, conquer a dragon and rescue a damsel. That is the way it has always been done. That is what his father did and his father's father and his father's father's father as far back as one can remember. So the beginning of the book begins with uh, Prince Emery of Harding off to do that thing, off to do his duty, um, off to do what he's been raised to do. And um, the second section of the book begins from the perspective of the damsel who wakes naked in his arms and with no memory. And when she asks him, who am I, where am I, he pretty much tells her, don't worry about it. Um, Don't ask too many questions. Just sit there and look pretty. Just know that
0: I rescued you. I
1: rescued you, (laughs) and now you will be my queen. Thank you very much. I will now be king, Um, no longer prince, and let's go home. And so he takes her home to Harding, uh, which is a city surrounded by a wall of eyes, and she begins to do the most dangerous thing a woman in her place can do, which is to ask lots and lots of questions. Uh, It's a story about the long ago and far away, but I think it's a story about the here and now Uh, It's a story about uh, misogyny and rape culture and patriarchy and gaslighting as well. Mm,
0: That was exactly the word I thought of. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I will say that one of the overwhelming feelings that I had, Mm -hmm. how I was impacted by not just the story overall, but just moment to moment, it was this constant sense, and it was Ama's experience, of isolation. Yeah. And how isolation is used as a weapon mm-hmm. to humiliate, um, to create that gaslighting. Mm-hmm. You know, if, for folks who don't know what that is, just that doubting yourself constantly. You're know, like, am I crazy? Did I imagine that? Or maybe I'm overreacting. Right. Um, and uh, was that a conscious thing on your part, that, that sense of isolation? To use that as a tool to really,
1: yeah, that's a good question. That's kind of a craft question. Uh, I never really think about craft when I'm writing, when I think as an author, my job is art and then craft and then business. So, as I was writing the book, I didn't really pay attention to that. I was just, I tell myself blinders on, so I go like this, and I just write the very next moment. And this just was a very isolated world. She was, she is the ama is the only damsel. There's no one else like her, and there is a, a veil of secrecy around what a damsel is and where a damsel comes from. Um, no one's even supposed to talk about it. So she is isolated and alone um, during the craft process of the book. Once the book was finished, I'm sh- I, I must have spent a little while now and I tend to move on to the next book right. but I, I must have I'm sure that I tried to in, in to increase that sense of isolation although you know people write what they know uh, so if the book feels isolated and like she's wandering around with you know without knowing the world that she's in that was because that was my lived experience as a young woman of feeling um like I was walking through a labyrinth full of fog. Mm. And I didn't quite know what I was supposed to do or where I was supposed to go or who I was supposed to be. I just knew I wasn't quite right. And that was mostly, I think that sort of infuses the book is, um, yeah, sort of my lived experience of young womanhood. I feel very glad that I'm not there now.
0: Oh, it's interesting because that's a normal part of the human journey. Yeah. You know, um but I think when it comes to women mm-hmm. or young women, um, the expectations of at least coming across as having it all together is is strong. Yeah, you know we we have to fake it till we make it. Yeah. kind of thing where there's maybe a lot more permission given to two boys or men to oh he's just figuring it out. Mm-hmm. There, there's more excuses yeah. made and and I, I I saw that as part of Ama's story. The expectations. Yeah,
1: there are a lot of expectations. The
0: expectations were
1: enormous. Yeah. Yeah. enormous. And there's also this constant threat. This this lack of safety this mm-hmm. around any corner on any bed bend something terrible could happen. And I I remember walking through uh, and I still, you know, when I'm walking to my car through uh, a darkened, you know, um, structure at night, there's still, there's that that sensation, you know, uh, there's this preparation that I, that I go through and that I think women go through, you know, are my keys out? Do I have my cell phone available? Do I need to walk alone? Should I get on that elevator? Like we make, many of us, most of us, I think, make many, many, many decisions, little tiny micro decisions throughout the day. In regards to you know personal safety, um, trying not to get raped, basically. Yeah. Um, and so the our life can feel tinged with that sort of um, negotiation, uh, and I think that definitely I think too infuses um, the book. I've had people tell me that uh, they they don't say this. It's not quite a horror novel, but it's horrific. Yes. Um, which I think is an interesting little play on the word there. Yeah.
0: You know, going back to the issue of safety and talking about how this is described as a, a fairy tale, mm-hmm. you know, a big part of the fairy tale is feeling safe, you know, is mm-hmm. that the, the hero provides that safety mm-hmm. for for the heroine, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that translates to our culture as women, you know, that somehow safety comes from outside and as opposed to having that inner peace inside and realizing that safety comes from within. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, maybe I'm asking this as another yeah. craft story. Yeah. Um, was yeah. that a conscious effort on your part yeah. or did all of these things just kind of solidify into the story in her journey?
1: I think ideally safety can come from within if externally the environment is safe also. Um and so in Amma's story, Amma doesn't even choose her own name. It's a name given to right. her by Emery because he thinks a woman's name should start with an open mouth. Um, and, That's just so <laughs> offensive. You know, and I read that. It was just, ugh. Yeah. He's supposed to be the hero of the story, but man. Yeah, it's, it's a subversive story. But what's interesting to me is that fairy tales haven't always been safe. Uh, it's relatively recent that we've decided that fairy tales – Uh, should be for children and that they should be safe and that they should be clean and that they should be neat and that they should have happy endings. Historically, that's not true of fairy tales. So I think I've read that this book, I've read it compared to sort of the more original versions of Cinderella where, you know, do you know the original story? Where I, the, I'm
0: a I'm little familiar with yeah, that. So yeah, so the mother
1: tells one of her daughters to cut off her heel so it'll fit in and the shoe. And it's not the
0: stepmother. They, I mean, it was cleaned up. Yes. The stepmother was substituted because you're not supposed later. to put a mother yes. in such a bad
1: light. For sure. Right. Yes. But with Cinderella, yeah, the first one says, oh, cut off your heel. You won't need it when you're the queen. Right. And then the next daughter, oh, cut off your toes. You won't need them exactly. when you're the queen. Exactly. And terrible, terrible things happen all the way through. Um, so I think that I this story does align itself more fully with those sort of uh, gorier, um, more original source material, right? Yeah. Which
0: you know I think uh, going Brothers Grimm when I was reading up, I I had no idea the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fairy tales that they had written, but yeah. I appreciated the kind of maybe it wasn't a conscious thing, but kind yeah. of the homage, yeah. to uh, that a fairy tale can reflect yeah. a truer, mm-hmm. sometimes darker side right. of the human experience.
1: And the Graham brothers, they didn't write those stories. They collected them. They collected them. They, they, they basically took women's stories and packaged them and then sold them back to women is what the Grimm brothers did. Um, And then they repackaged them when they found that the audience wanted something a little bit different. And so if you look at like the history of Grimm stories, um, they become cleaner and cleaner and more and more sanitized. And like you said, you're right that the mother got substituted for stepmother to give a little bit more, you know, because the mothers who would maybe be reading these stories or buying these stories might not want to be the villain in the story. Um, And so – the, the books themselves um, are a process of, of sort of whittling away the original um, femaleness of the original stories, which were originally oral, oral stories told, mm. you know, mostly by women. Um, the art of storytelling. Yes, until, yeah. until it was, you know, it was packaged and became a product.
0: Sanitized. And I then re- re-sanitized yeah. by Disney
1: um, and by many others, um, each, each time taking a step sort of further away from the original yeah, oral stories that um, were given for free and often as warnings um, from mothers to daughters. Don't stray from the path or terrible things will happen. Yes, that fear yes, factor again. Absolutely. And, and and for good reason. The world wasn't safe. You know, they weren't just telling it to scare their kids. They, you know, yeah. if a world is full of, of predators, then you want to arm your kids with stories. And I think if damsel does anything well, I think it gives language to experience that maybe young people have and don't know how, what to call it um
0: that intangible yeah yeah that that you said that experience that you can't put into words but you feel it you feel it you feel it yeah and that is so much of ama's experience yeah. she feels so much but can't put it into words yeah because she doesn't have the memory or what right. have you
1: that's right and yeah in the beginning of the story she's born without any language and as, as she experiences the world the words the words come to her yeah
0: so many things, like, going on in my, my brain. So I would love for you to yes, read a little excerpt be because this show is also a podcast, yeah. you know. And I, I love to talk about storytelling, mm-hmm. just being read to, which is why I think podcasts are so – I love
1: podcasts. They're amazing, yes. you know, because
0: it does harken back to a very ancient tradition yeah. of, you know – um. an
1: Oral storytelling. Yeah. yeah, I was actually just listening to a podcast on my way up here. I'll just briefly mention it. it's called "It's um, Keeping a Notebook" by Nina Lacour, who just won the Prince Award in young adult literature. I'm gonna scribble. It's that. brand new, and it's about the craft of writing as well as sort of the craft of living a life. Um, it's really beautiful by yeah. Nina Nina Lacour. Ooh, good. Name. She won the Prince last year. Um, okay, yeah, for her novel "We Are Okay," which is really really brilliant.
0: How often is the podcast
1: aired? Once a week, Once I a believe. A week. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yay, yeah. something new. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, so let's read a little okay. excerpt um, from Damsel. All right. So this is uh, from about the middle of the book. And so Alma has been taken home by Emery to the castle, and she has been assigned a serving lady named Tilly. Um, and I'll read just about a page here. It was Tilly's duty to serve Amma, Amma reminded herself. As much as Amma would have liked for it to be true, Tilly was not her friend. Can there be friendship between a servant and a mistress? She did not know. Tilly, she said, I'd like for you to be honest with me. Yes, lady, Tilly answered. About what? About everything, Amma answered. I am new to this place, as you know. "'I am new to everything. "'I have no knowledge of who I was "'before I woke in the king's arms. "'I have no idea how this world of yours works "'or how I fit into it. "'I have only the nagging fear that I do not fit here, "'not really, and I am unsure which parts of myself "'I must carve away in order to fit the way "'I am supposed to do. "'Does that make sense to you, Tilly?' "'It does,' said Tilly. "'That is the way of being a woman, "'to carve away at herself, to fit herself to the task.' but also to be able to carve herself in a different way when a different shape is needed. Tilly shaped herself in service of Ama. Ama knew. In what other shapes must Tilly carve herself when she was in other parts of her day? Ama did not know anything about what Tilly was, aside from her servant. And here Ama was, asking Tilly to carve herself further into the image Ama would find useful, a shape that may not even be safe for Tilly to assume, that of divine truth-teller, guide to Alma's blindness. Why should she think that Tilly would relish such a task? Tilly, she said, I was wrong to ask. Your duties are to dress me and maintain my rooms. I shall not ask more of you. Tilly's face softened, clearly relieved. You look beautiful, lady, she said. The Queen Mother will be so pleased to see you. Which was, Amma understood, Tilly's manner of telling her that it was time for her to go. Talk about
0: a woman carving away parts of herself. What, what? was the message? What?
1: Well, I guess I again I'm going to have to talk about just you know my own personal lived experience. I very much understood from a very young age um, that part of my job was to most lots of my job was to be a receptacle for men uh, in a number of ways. Um, If there was a man at a party who was standing alone, I kind of knew, or a boy, it was my job to say hi and to ask him his name and to make him feel comfortable. Um, If if someone made a joke, if a man made a joke, it was my job to laugh. Um, Was that conscious? I don't think it was at the time. I think it was just the way of the world you know I mean I grew up in the 90s and and the media I consumed and um women were were prizes to be won you know if you look at the movies and the books and the the way of the world like the the books that were considered the most important were stories of men um making great or very tiny triumphs the 90s was a time of sort of literature that was like for Raymond Carver-esque, you okay. know. There was a man and he was in his 50s and he was a white man and he was some sort of intellectual, but there was this ennui, you know, this dissatisfaction. Right. And then he'd have this glass of amber whiskey and hold it up up to the light and the light would hit it just so and it would like remind him of this woman's eyes you know and then there would be this shift in the story and we as a reader would like know that something enormous had happened you know (laughs) that we didn't quite grasp you know but the woman was was secondary or tertiary to the man's lived experience and i mean even just the reading list that i was assigned made it very clear that that the stories were about men and that women were secondary. I was raised on Hemingway and
0: yes, Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. Exactly. Uh those were
1: sort of the my idols uh and Salinger. You know, and then later you learn that Salinger was, you know, eating girls up, you know, uh in sort of service to his to his craft. Um just and you see that happening on the page with their characters. So I just feel like I I was a good learner, you know, and I I was a good um I paid good attention to what I was supposed to be. I was a good kid. I was a good girl, and that meant carving myself into the shape of of men. Um, teachers, I had a number of teachers that were inappropriately sexual with me my yeah. whole life. Um, yeah, so I think you write what you know, and unfortunately, what I knew was um, making myself kind of smaller. Um, yeah.
0: What did you want to say in particular with this with this book?
1: Well. Uh, I don't think, I think I want to just tell a really good story. Okay. As a writer, I think that's my job. I think it's sort of the reader's job to meet the writer and to decide what the book says. Um, I think if you have something you want to say with a book, you should just say that thing. Um, And, but then what you've done is you've written a morality lesson as opposed to um, a full story. A
0: story, right. Yeah.
1: So I think my job is just to tell the best story, and it's the the critic's job and the reader's job uh, to find meaning. and the book doesn't isn't mine anymore. It's kind of the beautiful thing about finishing a book is that then it belongs to everybody who reads it and everybody has a right to interpret it and to take from it things that I couldn't have, first of all, even known. Maybe I put stuff in there that I think the back of my brain does a lot of the work. And then sometimes someone will come to, up to me afterwards and say, "I think your book is about this thing," and I'll say, "Wow, I think you're right, but yeah, I never thought about exactly. that way before." You it's know? almost
0: like listening to music. Yeah, you know, a songwriter writes this song, and then all these people have interpretations of, yeah. you know, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, yeah. the LSD, <laughs> <Right>. Like,
1: What? <laughs> um, sure. So yeah, yeah, it's up yeah. to interpretation. And how lucky is a writer, you know, or a musician to have someone? Listen and reflect. Yes. That's you know, such a gift that if anybody wants to spend time with my story, I feel very grateful that they gave an hour or 10 hours you know, of their life to something I wrote. Um, they're not getting that time back. you know. All of us are working with a ticking clock that's going in one direction. And if someone decides that, that spending 10 hours of their life with one of my stories is is worth that, then I feel very grateful. And as a writer, I feel a great responsibility when I sit down to work to tell stories that are worth A piece of someone's life that they'll never see again.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, A question. So the story starts out um, with Emery's point of view.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Why did you choose that? And then the rest um, yeah. of the story is yeah. is Amas.
1: So this book is told in seven sections of seven chapters. Which I per thought section. was, was yeah.
0: there's no, you know, chapter one, chapter two. Right. I love the, Thank the, you. Break, the breakdown of it.
1: Yeah, so seven is a magical number in fairy tales. Um so I thought seven sevens was appropriate for this book. And um I think the story starts in the male perspective because I mean, it's called history for a reason, you know? <laughs> and that's the way Emery thinks it's going to go, is this is going to be his story, you know? And, and the damsel is, is uh, an accompaniment to his song. Um, and so it, I, to me, it just felt right that he would be the one to lead off, even though it's her story. I think a woman's story in this book always begins with a man's story. Um, and I hope that that's not always true. I hope there's a time... When my books, like in you know, my last book, "What Girls Are Made Of," too, I hope there comes a time when people read my books and they think, "I can't believe that used to happen. That people used to feel that way. Uh, I can't believe gaslighting was a thing." Yeah, you know, I can't wait until. Wouldn't that be wonderful if my books weren't relevant? But I think they are, and I think that this book is about today, and I think it's it's on fire, relevant for yes. for what we're dealing with um, in so many so many ways. Yeah.
0: You know, talk a little bit about women and and the friendships between women. I mean, yeah. we touched briefly on this before the show started yeah. of how competitive women can be with one another, um, sure. how unsupportive they can be, um, and just downright cruel yeah. to one another as opposed to supporting each other. Um, and that's definitely a through line with Alma yeah. and her experience. In this going back to the idea of her being so isolated, you know that isolation also comes from all the women
1: for sure around her. Yeah, um, there aren't a lot of I can't think of any characters really in this book. Well, I can think of one. Um, that's yeah, a safe place um, for Ama, um, but in general, a world that decides half the people aren't full people is a world where nobody is is safe. And if, if women are considered to be prizes or things to be used up, then it doesn't do for women to align themselves with other women, I think, um, which I think is, can be true in our world too. If, if women are aligning themselves with the patriarchy as opposed to aligning themselves with uh, disturbing that order, um, they may feel safer. There is maybe some safety in aligning yourself with the power um that safety comes at a great cost exactly uh at the cost of deeply knowing uh, each other and supporting each other and shifting the paradigm um it's a false safety and uh it's one i would like to see um given up in exchange for um empowered unity mm. and something i've seen shift in my own life is my um Deepening friendships with other women has been the most rewarding and honestly unexpected transition I've made in my life. As a younger woman, I was one of those girls who aligned herself with the boys. You know, I called myself a tomboy and I would say things like, if a man said to me, you're not like the other girls, that seemed to me to be the highest compliment,
0: you know? (laughs) That made you cool. It made
1: me cool. It made me better (laughs) than, it made me not the same as girls. And now I would say, well, you know, you must not know very interesting women. I'm like a lot of women that I know. I'm, mm. I'm. I want to be more like the women that I know uh, and the women that I uh, admire and uh, you know aspire to be like. So, um, I may have lost the thread of where I was going with that. <laughs> oh, in the book, yes, there, there are the women. The women aren't great to Amma, uh, and they're not great to each other um, any more so than the men. It's a tough world to be in. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah.
0: One of the most disturbing—I don't know if it was a theme per se—about about damsel um, is that the way people, and in, in particular women, treat Ama, mm-hmm. and and most of the men, um, they're never overtly cruel to her. Mm-hmm. It's very subtle, you know. A particular word that they'll use her or a look that they give her or if, if someone dismisses her. It's done very subtly. It's done with a smile on their face. It's done with rationalization. Like, this is just the way things are. Um, stop asking the questions, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that kind of covert mm. behavior was so disturbing because it's it, it, it starts from the very beginning mm-hmm. and it's a thread that goes throughout the entire book and it's exhausting
1: it is exhausting
0: it's exhausting i mean poor ama yeah she's the one experiencing it but as a reader it's like oh my god this has to let up yeah but it can't
1: yeah
0: it can't
1: so i love that i'm glad i Um, love that i'm glad it was it was a it was a actually it was a thrillingly wonderful book to write uh this book this is my 10th novel um and it doesn't happen often it's happened for me twice now where a book just fell mm. out of me just i was right racing that was another question to get to yeah. the next part i was so it's it's it is i think i think it's a beautiful book and i think there's a lot of beauty in it to to enjoy as a reader but like you said there's parts of it that are horrific or torturous and uncomfortable and, and rage inducing but as a writer it was just a pleasure such a thrill it was I such know. a thrill to, to, it just felt like i I tapped into a vein, you know, and the, it, the, I guess tapped is the wrong word. I guess, you know, like if you're a, you know, you ever gone to get your blood drawn and sometimes yeah. they have to dig around and, yeah, oh, yeah, the yeah. vein doesn't do a good job. There's that's, not, the connection right. was easy, but it was the same. Sometimes seamless. there's, a, there's, yeah. you get the right vein. Yes. The, those little, you, those little vials just fill up <laughs> one after the other. And that's what this book felt like. Right. It's like, oh, it just, it felt good. It felt, um, It felt powerful. Writing this book felt powerful. And from the very beginning, I knew where the book was going. And I was so excited to get to uh, the end. Um, That was such a reward for me as a writer that it was a fun book to write.
0: Do stories ever come to you in dreams?
1: Uh, Sometimes I get ideas in dreams. Yeah, this book actually came to me. um, I have a good friend. Her name is Martha Brokenbro, And she has a new book coming out, actually. It's called Unprecedented. It's a book for younger readers about Trump and his rise to the presidency. So it's a YA? It's a it's a young adult okay. nonfiction title. Okay. It comes out in December. It's it's brilliant. Uh Martha's brilliant. And she and I had gone away on a writer's just the two of us had snuck away to write for four days. And we were uh, together and she said to me, um, she challenged me to write a book with a dragon. And as soon as she said that to me, um, did your imagination just? I
0: just knew explode? the whole thing. Yes. yes. Sometimes yeah. the,
1: there's just it just happens. Yeah. It doesn't happen often. Most writing is just showing up and doing work and not knowing where you're going. But this was a gift from somewhere, um, for sure. And also, I was in love with Game of Thrones, um, the show. Yeah. I love Daenerys Targaryen. I love her dragons. Oh, I was just couldn't stop thinking and obsessing about about the dragons in that show. Um, also, this book. Um, when I was younger, I had read uh, Eyes of the Dragon by Stephen King. Yes. Yeah. I have
0: that as a note that that yeah. was one of the, your inspirations, yes. as well as Anne Rice. And, yes. yes. Anne, Ro-
1: Anne Rice writing as Anne Claire, actually, which for the uh, Claiming of Sleeping Beauty yes. trilogy, uh, which I read when I was 15. Um, and even more disturbing, they were my father's books. Uh, <laughs> Pre-read. He had already read them, and so when I was reading them, and I would get to the parts, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And <laughs> then my dad's, dad, right? and then I was reading the book too. So there, it was just, just complicated. Um But those books uh definitely stewed in me, and I think I think it's really important to let kids read voraciously and widely and whatever they want because we have no idea what they're getting from those books yes. or wh- how those things are going to like seep down through the sort of stratosphere of their brain and what is going to come back up later. Yes, The influence is amazing. It is. Yeah. So I I realized that as I got more serious as a writer, I cut out lots of things. And I was reading very narrowly. um, And my ideas dried up. Mm. And then I decided I wasn't a writer after graduate school uh, in writing. I decided, forget it, I'm not a writer. I'm a reader. And I opened the floodgates and I read voraciously and widely again, the way I used to read as a kid. and I fell in love with reading again. And the funny thing, of course, is that then I started having good ideas again. and i, I it turns out I actually was still a writer. um <laughs> it never leaves you, yes, it doesn't. <laughs> but I think I think it's really important to allow ourselves too, to read to read widely and not shame ourselves um you know, that some book is a guilty pleasure and some book is real art. And I think, uh, we should read everything.
0: Why YA? I mean, given yeah. the subject matter yeah. and what happens in the story, you know, to Ama. Yeah. I was surprised that it, you chose YA as the genre yeah. to tell the
1: story. Well, I didn't. Um, I just, my job is to write a book. Like I said, art and then craft, um, and then business. Okay. And so my job was to write a good book. Um, is this book YA? Yes. Why? Because it's published by Balzer and Bray, which is a YA imprint. It's a marketing, you know, title. It's a book about young people. Uh, maybe this book could have been published as an adult novel. I have a wonderful editor, um, Jordan Brown, and I have a wonderful imprint, Balzer and Bray. And as long as they want to publish my books, uh, I'm happy to publish them there. They're a wonderful support system. I think any author would be absolutely just so thrilled and lucky to land where I have. Um, but is it YA? Is it is it a book about teens or a book for teens? That's a good question. Mm. I get asked that a lot. What is YA? That's a good question too. Some people say it's a book written for teens. Well, I think that's dumb personally because I think that there's no other thing part of writing that we say it's this because it's of the audience who's going to read it yeah. it's a mystery novel because women in their 60s are going to read it that's ridiculous people <laughs> will revolt right yeah. it's a mystery novel because everything needs to be labeled right and because it's about our mystery yeah. yeah so this is a, a young adult novel in that it's a book about young people um and that's it. Uh, you look at Margot Lanigan; she wrote this wonderful book called Tender Morsels. If you like dark fantasy novels, uh, fairy tales, it's amazing. She's Australian, and in Australia, her book was published as an adult novel, and here it was published as a young adult novel. Um, and interesting—that's a marketing question. That's not a—that's yeah. not an art or a craft question. So it's—it's it's, to me, and, and I'm not much of a business person, to be honest. To me, that's—it's vastly less important than do I get to tell the stories I want. And work with people who respect and protect my work and my art. And that's what Jordan Brown and Balzer and Bray has, have done for me. Um, but yeah, no, there's there's not a thing that I wouldn't put in a young adult novel. So fair warning uh, for any of my books. I don't think it's my job to serve a, a safe meal right. to a reader. My job is to explore. Exactly. My job is to explore the areas that interest me as an artist. Uh, it's the reader's job to decide. And I don't mean like I don't even mean the adult readers. I mean, it's the, the any reader who meets my book. It's it's her job or his job to decide if they want to keep reading. And I think a book is a wonderful place to practice being uncomfortable and to practice saying no. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what we want for our young Absolutely. people? If they're in a situation that feels unsafe, we want them to say, eh, I think I'm leaving. And yes. we want them to back away. And if my book feels unsafe or uncomfortable to a reader, I hope that they will listen to their own spidey sense, put it down, back away, <laughs> and think critically about yeah. what they're engaging with and come back to it when they're ready. Uh, I'm a big believer in that. Um Books are a great place to be uncomfortable. They're a great place to practice saying no. All books are for all people. So because this is a book that's published as a young adult novel does not mean that it's a book for 14 to 18-year-old females. It's a book. It exists in the world, and I want everyone to read it.
0: I know, too, going back to what you were saying, uh, the spidey sense, Mm -hmm. uh, listening to that which we can't describe, and we had talked about this briefly, listening to that which we can't put into words – Um, and not feeling like we have to rationalize the gut feeling that we have. Not feeling like we have to defend the gut feeling. Just knowing I need to act on this, and this is this is the road that I'm going to go down. Um, you know, for ama and damsel, Mm -hmm. and just as a life lesson. Again, you know, if you want to, you know, target that life lesson to the to the YA demographic, that's great because that's a fantastic tool that every young person should have just trusting that sense and that unspoken gut but you know it spans across the board
1: for sure to all
0: demographics
1: i think everybody has that and then we train it out of them yes that's so frustrating isn't it but it's like it's like fullness with a little tiny infant every infant knows when it's full but then a lot of people will see there's two ounces left in the bottle and they'll be like, oh, you need a little bit more. Mm. Or they'll tell the kid, you don't need another cookie, you're full. And so we, we, we shame and we force and we impose our will on young people in a variety of ways. We forget that children are whole people and we we kill that sense, that inner sense of – of fullness, of incompleteness, of wariness. Oh, you shouldn't be like that. Give him a hug. What's wrong with you? Why didn't you kiss your uncle? You know, mm. you ha- we- of course you give him a hug. You know, we, we-, we don't teach consent to the youngest people. The youngest baby people, you know, we, we don't listen to, their, to them necessarily as well as we should. And then when they grow up, we say, well, why didn't you know you were in a bad situation? It's your fault that you didn't know you were in a bad situation. When all our life we've told young girls that their job is to stay in, in bad situations and not make other people uncomfortable by embarrassing them, by refusing that hug. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, when you say by embarrassing them, you know, it's, it's women, women are okay to take on the shame. Mm -hmm. But we're not – we shouldn't be shaming others.
1: right? So it's that. Except older women. Older women are allowed – like women my age can shame teens. I (laughs) I was at a party not too long ago and there were a bunch of women sitting around looking at pictures of teen girls. And there were teen girls in the room too. Mm -hmm. And the women were like, well, look at that. Her butt is hanging out. What is she thinking? And my daughter is sitting there and my daughter's friends are all sitting there. And I'm starting to stink the sweaty, insecure – so am I going to have to say this thing sweat? But I am, right? I'm going to have to change the paradigm. So I had to say, hey – I don't think it's okay for you to be sitting around shaming a girl's body. This is not who we are. This isn't who we want our girls to be. What are you thinking? I had to say that to the other women in front of all of our daughters. And everyone at the table was like, Ugh! All the girls started this, and the mothers were like, well, we didn't mean it like that. Like, "Well, that's what you said. And I think, it's, I think it's shameful that you would talk like that about a girl. And afterwards, I had three girls come up to me and tell me, thank you, mm. uh, and that they felt uncomfortable at that table, but they didn't have the nerve to talk. And if we don't model protecting each other, even from each other, then it is, it's not going to stop. It's going to perpetuate the sort of the, – the the things that AMA experiences with women um, get handed down from generation to exactly. generation. And patriarchy is bad for everybody. And misogyny is bad for everybody. Misogyny doesn't mean men are bad and women are good and men are bad to women. It means a society that doesn't value femaleness is inherently whole people. And – women are exactly as guilty of perpetuating misogyny and patriarchy as men because we're all brought up in a sick system so we all have to change it do you find
0: your voice alana's voice similar to ama's at all
1: Maybe by the very last – I think I'm more like um, Ama – I'm more like the end of the book. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But young me was very Ama-like. I didn't have voice. I didn't have a voice. I didn't have language to understand what I experienced. Um, I didn't know why it made me so uncomfortable when people would say or do certain things. I remember I was like six or seven and I was in a gymnastics class and I was really flexible and I could do the center splits and the the young male instructors were piling – mats under each of my legs so that i was kind of doing like an inverted u right and they started laughing and talking about how handy that was going to be and how you know i was going to make a lot of friends because i could bend i was that flexible and i could bend like that and i didn't know what they meant but i knew i felt
0: uncomfortable ashamed yeah
1: and also pleased you know that the boys liked me but also at the same time sick to my stomach and not knowing what to do with that combination of flattered and shamed Mm. and i think i probably spent 20 years in that space of feeling i want more attention and also please don't look at me uh and that the world wasn't a safe place um now i'm in my early 40s and a lot of times people don't notice me anymore men don't notice me anymore on the street and look right there like i'm part of the the patriarchy too i said people when what i meant was men (laughs) like right there you know that's uh, i'm hoping that the next generation will have it We'll have it more right The language will be different. The The conversation will be different. Yes. Yeah.
0: Let's talk a little bit. Okay, so first of all, when you were saying that the experience of writing this book was quick and fast and just, it just came pouring out of you. So for me, part of the experience of reading Damsel was staying up till three in the morning. Yeah, thank you. I'm so glad. Which is, I I love that. You know, it's it's... And, and that only happens when a book has the ability to surprise me. Oh, thank you. It's not predictable. Yeah. Um, it's certainly, as I started reading it, it wasn't what I expected at all. And we had talked yeah. about that. Um, but you, you kept that surprise element and you kept that. Tension. Thank you. You kept that tension through the entire story. So thank you for keeping me up till 3 a.m. in the morning. It was
1: awesome. That was my pleasure. (laughs) Edgar Allan Poe said, a book should be short enough to read in one sitting, which I think – well, I think some books should be short enough to read in one sitting. I think he's right. I I like a long book uh, like Elena Ferrante's Beautiful, My Beautiful Friend, which took days and days and days to read. But I also like a book that I can – that I can sit down and just, I can just read the whole yes. thing. Yes, yeah, be absorbed by yeah. it
0: and and just disconnect. We were talking about right. disconnecting from social media earlier, yeah. But just being able to be absorbed by another world, yeah. by the fantasy. Yeah, um, I have to. I mean, this is perfect timing. Yeah. You know, the story of damsel and the story of Amma. Um, as we, as I, we were watching the elections last yes, night. I was up. To. I had this little light bulb. It's like, oh my god, this is going to be perfect to talk about with Alana. Um, wanted to read some stats in regards to what happened last night Let's hear with elections. So, we had a record number of women now in Congress. Women have been breaking records all year. More than five hundred women filed to run for Congress. Um, more women than ever won primaries. In the Senate, 23 women were on the ballot, while 237 women were in the House races. Wow. A record-breaking 16 women ran for governor. Wow. And when you take a look at the women who were running for office and when you take a look at the women who won last night, they come from all walks of life. Yes. You have women who have never been in politics before. You have mothers, you have military fighter pilots. you have business women. Um, you have we have a Native American woman in the House of Representatives yeah. now. Um, it's It's a groundbreaking moment. It's a moment where women's voices, are being heard, and e- even in the news reports last night, when they were talking about the the candidates who won, who don't have a lot of political experience, and you know, just kind of saying, you know, they're young, yeah. they're young. They're, yeah. She's only twenty nine years old. She doesn't have a lot of experience. There's the media. Alre- already, it's starting. Of right. she's not going to be good enough. She's not going to be able to rise to the task. Um, and it made me think of Ama. You know, it yeah. made me, it made me think of. Her trying to find her voice, will somebody please listen to me because I'm feeling all these feelings. And we see this in in the race last night of all these women who are not allowing the fact that, okay, maybe I don't have a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe I'm not in my 50s or 60s. Um, but I have a voice. Yeah. I have a voice. And I'm going to surround myself by people, hopefully women mm-hmm. as well, who support that voice. Yeah.
1: Yeah, women and um, and allies of of feminism, and it was a remarkable night to see how many women were elected, and it's groundbreaking and it's it's uplifting and it's it's thrilling. Uh, and then there's areas too where it's like still it's still disappointing. Like in Georgia, seventy eight percent of white women um, voted for the uh, the Republican candidate. Um, so women have made great strides and you know white women have we still have work to do and for all of us I think it's incredibly important that we remember that feminism is truly only feminism if it's intersectional and that feminism is truly only feminism if we don't make it white feminism if we it's not us against them we need to exactly yes to make sure that we're listening and asking at taking not taking up all the space and and passing the microphone and um listening to when someone tells us that we've done something uh as you know white feminists that isn't right that we listen and don't get defensive and that we are team builders um so i'm i was thrilled in my own neck of the woods you probably guess that i'm you know a liberal, um, that Dana Rohrabacher, I believe. although they're still counting the votes. Finally, but it was yeah. like after thirty years, I live in Orange County. Like he's he's finally going to not no longer be our Congressperson. Uh, and it's a huge thrill for me. And it's but what was amazing to me was fifty one percent to forty nine percent. And I was still like, wow, really? It's yeah. so close, so close. And that speaks too to me to about my own bubble that i've created because in my circle everyone i knew was voting for harley ruda and so i was shocked that still it was so close that it could be so close to call and i think that's really important that we don't get too closed in and only listen to each other um and and that we try not to um i don't know put up more walls um new walls it's it's dangerous. I know that I I can get into my own my own rage bubble. As my husband calls it my rage bubble. <laughs> <laughs> but rage can also be a powerful force. Absolutely. Yes, rage can be a powerful force if it's used uh, to create rather than destroy. And yes. I've seen a lot of that. I've seen a lot of angry women creating um since the last election since 2016 and i think now we're seeing in this election we're seeing what they what largely women and very largely two women of color have started to create uh with with anger and um yeah so whatever we can do to keep that momentum going uh is is important I was tempted not to write anymore after the 2016 election. I just felt uh, like telling my stories. What's the point? I write. I write books. Who can care? That's I should when be, art
0: is the most important. It's hard to believe that though. I, it you is, know, I feel like I should just be vital. canvassing
1: all the time, and I should just become. I should just raise money for Planned Parenthood 24 um, seven. And we, many of us, res writers that I know, had 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 to sort of find a new normal, a new balance between doing social justice work. And activism, and fundraising, and canvassing, and creating art, and it's been hard. It's been hard for a lot of artists I know to uh, to produce. Um, And this is a book too about about transforming pain art in uh, pain into art. Mm -hmm. Um, There's there's a thread of art in this book that actually runs through several of my books. I think Um, that question of what do you do with with if the world has done terrible things to you. What do you do with those terrible things? Yes. Um, and some of my characters have chosen to uh, to use them in art. Uh, and I think that's what I do too is I take whatever, you know, was dealt to me and it's mine. I own it. I own all the bad experiences I've had and I can transform them into art. And I can commodify them if I want to even because, you know, they're mine uh, whether I wanted them or not. Yeah, Damsel?
0: is out now it, it yeah. debuted October 2nd. It did Correct. It's for a month now. Um, yeah. It's such a personal experience reading this book. Loved every minute of it as, you. as you know, uh, please tell everyone where they can find you yes. on social media so they can follow your art and your journey. Thank you
1: very much. So I am on the Twitter uh, at, at Alana K Arnold, also Instagram at Alana K Arnold. Um, and on Instagram, you'll see lots of pictures of my cats <laughs> as well as and learn more about my book. So thank, I want to thank you so much for having me today and asking me such wonderful, interesting questions. I really appreciate you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can find me on Twitter at Tammy Govea and Insta and Facebook, Tammy Govea Official. Thank you for joining us here at Book Circle Online and have a great day. <laughs> From executive producers Kevin Undergaro, Maria Menounos, and Jeffrey Masters, Thanks for tuning in to Book Circle Online. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment. To suggest a book title or their author, you can tweet us at Book Circle On. This is Book Circle Online. Thanks for tuning in.